0: You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. If you would, please turn with me to Deuteronomy 6. We'll be reading verses 1 through 9. Now this is the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son, and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I commanded you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long." Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk to them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house, and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: All right, good morning everyone, you may be seated. I never knew there were so many Iowa State fans. It just took winning a game for me to realize Iowa State fans exist, and so good morning to you all. I'm a, as many of you know, I'm a rabbit Hawkeye fan. And the deal is this, if you don't know, Iowa wins. I get to wear my Iowa garb, Iowa State wins, and I gotta wear this stuff. So, uh, first time I've ever worn an Iowa State shirt. I hope it's the last. Probably won't be, but it's a fun little, fun little game we have going on here. So. But it is good to see you all, regardless of what uh, paraphernalia you're wearing. <laughs> uh, we have kids' sermon notes. We don't have redemptional kids today, but we have the Restless Kids Room right across the hallway. So, parents, if that does serve you, we pipe in the sermon right over there. Uh, totes are in the hallway as, as well. So, if any of that serves you, uh, it's all yours. Go after it. Okay, this is part two of a four-part sermon series called All for Christ, or All of Christ, excuse me. Uh, This is a reminder, we kind of paused our sermon series going through the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, these particular messages will lead up to our family meeting on the last Sunday of this particular month, which regular attenders and members are are welcome um, to participate in. And just kind of laying some of the foundational groundwork, kind of going back, why does Redemption Hill Church exist? Why are we here, right? Uh, Many times, and if you're anything like me, it's just easy to forget. And so it's good to pause occasionally and say, okay, what is the foundation of this church? Why are we here? So last week, I proposed to you a pithy little statement packed with, I think, a ton of meaning. It goes like this, all of Christ for all of life, All of Christ, for all of life, for all of the Des Moines metro. So last week we looked at what it means to live all for Christ. What does it mean to go all in? All in. Not just partially in, not like 95% in. What does it mean to go 100% in for Christ? Uh, If you could not listen to that sermon because you're absent or serving in Redemption of Kids, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to that because that's foundational for what I'll be saying today, right? This is kind of building on top of of one another. Uh, That message is the first link in this chain that's connected to a few other links. So last week was all of Christ, and today all for life. So I invite you to pray with me. I need God's help desperately this morning, and then we'll get into Deuteronomy 6. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and my chief prayer this morning is that you would speak clearly to our hearts, through this particular passage, this beautiful passage, this wonderful passage, this historic passage. These words, Lord, are meant to be impressed upon our hearts and to change our lives. So to whatever degree I can help that process, Lord, I pray that by the Spirit, you would empower me to do so. Uh, These words are just words on a page right now, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, you can help us see clearly. We pray this all in Christ's name. I don't know about you, but I, I constantly think about here and now, like what's going on right in front of me. On the one hand, there are situations and responsibilities that like, need to be taken care of here and now. If the faucet is leaky, you got to go fix it, right? Um, if a student has a test on Sunday morning, you better be studying for that test on Sunday night. If I got a sermon to preach at 10 a.m. Sunday morning, guess what? I better get that done before 10 a.m. Sunday morning. Recently, I I told a bunch of 7th and 8th grade students that they should not romanticize about their future. The Lord has called them to be faithful with what's right in front of them. Within the context of battling anxiety, our Lord Jesus uh, is recorded saying these words in Matthew 6. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, right? For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is our own trouble. So, Christians must be grounded in reality, in the present, and learn to trust the Lord for daily provision. We saw that particular sermon going through the Lord's Prayer recently. But here's the question I have. Is there a healthy way for Christians to think about their future? Is there a way to think about the future while living in peace in the present? I think so. I think there is a biblical approach to planning and preparing for the future. Perhaps a good correlation is like financial planning. If you go to a good financial planner, he will hopefully tell you how to prepare right now for 20 years from now. You invest now to impact the years that are ahead of you. The parable of the talents from Matthew 25 is a great example of investing in the future. I'm not going to read, read the passage, but here are the cliff notes. It's simple. If God gives you something, do not waste it. <laughs> Don't waste it. You need to figure out how to cultivate and grow whatever God has given, given you. So, we need to see, the, see that action is taken in the present to impact the future. So we read in Deuteronomy 6 a a similar dynamic. What are you doing right now to grow and cultivate your relationship with God while at the same time investing into the the future? In Deuteronomy 6, uh, we read about the greatest commandment, the, the commandment to love God. In Matthew 22, in Mark 12... We read our Lord Jesus teaching this commandment, and for good reason. At the end of the day, loving God and loving others is the fulfillment of the law. The law of love does not negate the law of the Old Testament, but the Old Testament law helps us to see what it looks like to love God and love others well. As we dig a little deeper into Deuteronomy 6, this formulation, uh, commandments, statutes, and rules, verse 1, verse 2, verse 4, and there's various pronouns uh, throughout the passage that go back to this particular, uh, this particular phraseology. We need to understand this within the context of God's covenant relationship with his people. A, a covenant, if that's unfamiliar language to you, a covenant is like a contract between two parties. In a sense, a marriage is a covenant contract between a man and a woman before the Lord man and a woman come together and they make an agreement. The reason why there are at least two witnesses is that they're supposed to keep the, the newlyweds accountable to their covenant agreement. The covenant between God and his people is a covenant of grace and of love. On the one side of this covenant, God will continue to show himself faithful to his people. You start reading the Old Testament and you just kind of go right through into the New Testament. That's what we see over and over and over and over again. God is faithful. That's the one side of this covenant. When you read the Bible from beginning to end, it is about big picture. God is faithful to redeem and restore his people. This is a covenant of grace. On the other side of the covenant are God's people. And the promise God's people are to make in return is to exclusively love God. I intentionally use the word exclusively because the temptation for God's people during the time of Moses and today is to love God and a whole bunch of other things, right? We worship God and then we worship other things, people or other gods, a little G. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm a rabid Hawkeye fan. There's a temptation to love, you know, my football team, but you can pick the thing for yourself, And what we read in Holy Scripture is that we are to exclusively love God and God alone. That's the agreement we are to make. What the Lord asks of his covenant people is exclusive worship, which bears fruit through love. But there's even more going on in Deuteronomy 6. God is not content with you only loving him. There's more going on. God calls his people to pass down the commandments. God is calling his people to pass down the stories from one generation to the next. What we see in this passage is that your faith is not solely expressed in the confines of the place you do devotions. Like when you wake up in the morning, you grab your cup of coffee, and it's just you and the Lord and that cup of coffee and your Bible, right? Right? Your faith is not solely expressed in isolation. That's good. Go do your devotions. That's great. But clearly, there's way more going on. There is a reason why the church is a corporate gathering and not you sitting in the living room looking at a computer screen. But you are a person who is connected to a, to a natural family and also connected to a, a spiritual family. And within these contexts, you're called to share, pass down the words and deeds of God. I'll make this point in in another way, and then we'll see some of the details of Deuteronomy 6. Radical American individualism, which all of you have grown up in, right? Most of you have grown up in this context. Radical American individualism is not biblical, It's not biblical. Nowhere in the Bible do we see a man or woman of God disconnected from the whole. A reason why, a reason, but not the only reason, a reason why an individual is not disconnected from the whole is so that God's covenant of grace and all that it entails is passed down from one generation to the next. Deuteronomy 6, the most recited passage in the Bible, up there with the Lord's Prayer, has a multi-generational focus. When I say all of Christ for all of life, there is a sense that we are considering the present and the future. You invest today for the next 10 20 and 100 years from now. You need to consider what it means to love God now and what you're doing to prepare the people behind you to love God. Like We all all can receive the exhortation, we need to love the Lord of God with all of our heart, soul, and might. But along with that, in Deuteronomy 6, it's like, what am I doing to prepare the people behind me to do the same? I've said this before, and I'll say it again. One of my goals as the pastor who is planning this church, um, the current pastor now, one of my goals is actually to work myself out of the job. I know you probably don't hear a lot of pastors say that, and I'm not foreboding anything. And I'm not going anywhere. I love it. Being, I'm not. I'm home. But the heart behind that kind of statement is like, what are we doing to raise up new leaders, new pastors? To carry on this message, to love God with all of your heart, soul, and might. For all of you note takers, here are three headings to help us walk through this passage. Um, You'll see these three themes in Deuteronomy 6. We have this greatest commandment that I've mentioned, and that's obvious. Now, what are we doing to pursue, to personally pursue the greatest commandment, and then what are we doing to pass down this greatest commandment? Let's kind of go through these particular themes one at a time. Historically speaking, verses 4 to 9 have been called the Shema, S-H-E-M-A in the English, Shema. Now, I'm, I'm not a Jewish scholar, but the Internet can make me sound like one. So, here's what I found about the Shema, just building on some foundational stuff I already knew. The Shema is a Jewish prayer that serves as the centerpiece of the morning and evening Jewish prayer services. So they get up, they pray the Shema. Go to bed, pray the Shema. Its first verse, verse 4, encapsulates this monotheistic essence of Judaism. Mono means one, and theistic means God. So we read, Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. Before the 7th century, in the rise of Islam, 7th century, monotheism was a distinguishing mark of God's people. Most religions were polytheistic, multiple gods that are being worshipped. Therefore, to declare God is one is to make a definitive, definitive statement about who is worshipped. Now, everything I have just said about a Jewish understanding of the Shema, I can say yes and amen. Christians also believe God is one. The Christian equivalent to the Shema might be, as I said, the Lord's Prayer, which many of you are familiar with. But let's not be fooled. The Shema is for Christians. Everything between Genesis and Revelation is Christian history and Christian Scripture, including the Shema. The Shema is for Christians and not in a Jewish sense. The Shema... Is for Christians because it is Christians who are a part of God's covenant, God's covenant of grace. Anyone who has rejected Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the Son of God, is not a part of God's covenant of grace. My point is reinforced when Jesus teaches the Shema in Matthew 22. We read in the Gospel of Matthew, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, he being Jesus here. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test Jesus. He says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? So you just can imagine your own head, all the Pharisees are kind of over here, and they got the lawyer be like, hey, we're going to try to fool Jesus here. Can you help us out? And so they posed this question. And he said to them, Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The passage says that the lawyer was attempting to test Jesus, but in reality, the question's a softball for Jesus kind of throw it up, tee it up, and hit it out of the park. Like Jesus grew up reciting the Shema in his humanity. He was reciting the Shema. Jesus sees Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 9, and sees how, it's, how the person is connected with God in the context of covenant community. Last week, I, I preached from Colossians 3 about what it means to live all for Christ. And The Shema builds on that theme. In Matthew 22, we read that within God's covenant, you are to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. Mark 12 and Deuteronomy 6 also use the word might. You're to love God with all of your strength or might. And I'll explain the difference here in a moment. Here is the bottom line, though. Your love for God is all-encompassing. Your love for God is not limited to how you feel. And thank goodness, because I got such fickle feelings. Your love for God is not limited to your specific gifting. Your love for God pours forth from every fiber of your being. And here's some really good news. It is insightful to know that your love for God is modeled off God's love for you. The uh, Hebrew word for love in this particular passage is Ahava. Ahava is conveying feelings and actions. The love God has for his people is like a love between a husband and a wife, or perhaps parent, a parent with their children. It's personal. It's intimate. I think First John 4 hits the proverbial nail on the head when it says, We love because why? He first loved us. You are able to love, love God, because he first loved you, Christian. How does Jesus Jesus model love for us in John 15? Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. That's how Jesus modeled love. And now you are to go and do likewise in response. Now, Let's take some more cues from Deuteronomy 6 about how we are to love God, how, how we are to love God, heart, soul, and might. Loving God with all of your heart includes loving with your thoughts, emotions, physicality, and choices. At the time this was written, there was little understanding of the brain. Um, you know, no one was doing CT scans or anything like that. Everything was connected to the heart. The heart is central to a person. All fear and joy are connected to the heart. The heart is the substance of every human being. And you are to love God with all your heart. To love God with all your soul means to love God with your living being, right? You can think of the word soul as synonymous with spirit, which if you read the Greek Old Testament, uh, the word for spirit is actually being used. So loving God with all your soul highlights the spiritual component between you and God. Finally, you need to love God with all of your might. This Hebrew word here requires a little nuance, but it's, it's worth the time to see the profundity of what is being communicated. Uh, the Hebrew word here is ma'ad, which means very or much. Now, I'm not an English major. Never will be, but I think that's an adverb, right? It's almost always used as an adverb throughout the Old Testament. In English, it would like me saying, I love my wife Very Mu'ad much. I love her very much. Here's a biblical example. We read about the creation of the world in Genesis 1. And the first five days, after the first five days, everything that God made was good. Then you get to the sixth day after the creation of man and woman, it was Ma'ad, very good. So what on earth is going on here in Deuteronomy six? Ma'ad is attempting to tell us that our love for God is just all-encompassing. Our love for God has no limits. It's not supposed to have limits. So you are to love God, not by killing a bear with all your might, although that'd be pretty cool if you could. I wouldn't recommend it. But That's not what's going on here. You're supposed to love God with, it's almost like i making up a new word, muchness. Your love for God is limitless. So, with so much talk about love in our culture, I think we see a higher ethic of love here in Deuteronomy 6. You can go on the internet and go to Amazon.com and get a million different things, a million different books, what love means in this culture and world, but I think right here we see a higher ethic, a better ethic, a more worthy love for us to pursue. Because loving God is not abstract but concrete, we need to take specific steps to remind ourselves of truth. We need to pursue the greatest commandment. We must remind ourselves of God's commandments, statues, and laws. Deuteronomy 8 9 tells us of the steps taken to bury the words and deeds of God within the heart. Take a look at this. You shall bind them, but them being the commandments, statues, and laws, bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You should write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The whole idea is that you just can't get away from what God has said. In uh, present day uh, Judaism, verse 8 is not interpreted uh, metaphorically, but quite literally. It's practically walked out. And I can appreciate the heart and intent, even though the practice, I think, may be a little misguided here's what some segments of Judaism do with their hands and their forehead in in an attempt to be obedient to Scripture. It's called (laughs) flactory, a miniature box containing verses of the Torah, uh, two passages in Exodus and two passages in Deuteronomy, are placed, these these passages are placed in four different chambers in these little boxes. And one box is is strapped to the forearm, and the other box is literally strapped around the head with a box right between the eyes. These boxes are strapped to the body as this particular passage from Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, is being recited. Again, I appreciate the heart behind the ritual, but that is not something that we need to do. You can carry around note cards with Bible verses and memorize it. That's great. The heart of the ritual actually is to never forget to love God. So we need to take every effort to pursue the love of God. The modern-day equivalent to placing the Shema on house doorposts, verse 9, is putting Bible verses like around the house, right? Um, there is a constant effort to pursue the love of God. There's a constant effort to remember God's covenantal love. Like I'm going to share with you a preference. This is just a Sean Powers preference. The older I get, the more I love seeing Bible verses in people's houses. Like I love walking into the door and being slapped in the face with a Bible verse. That's just a preference. Not everyone has that kind of home decor, right? You do whatever you want. But the older I get, the more I've come to appreciate that. I want to be reminded of truth. I want to be reminded of what it means to pursue the love of God. So we need to know the greatest commandment. Individually and corporately, we need to pursue the greatest commandment. There's no such thing as idle Christianity here. Our faith is active. And we must continually cultivate our relationship with the Lord. These two points flow into my third point. We need to pass down the greatest commandment to the next generation. We need to exhort the generation behind us to pass that down, to pass these commandments and statutes and laws down to the generation behind them. Let's go back to verses 1 and 2 of Deuteronomy 6. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land in which you are going over to possess it. Look what I underlined here. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your sons and your sons' sons, by keeping his statutes and his commandments, which I have commanded you, all the days of your life. All of Christ for all of life. So do you see the encouragement from God's word that the Christian faith transcends generations. I, I, Sean Powers, want to fear, what we read up here, and love the Lord. I want my children to fear and love the Lord. I want my children's children to fear and love the Lord. Now, if I desire to see my children's children fear the Lord and love the Lord, it begins with me. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And uh, after the Lord saved me in my early 20s, and then the Lord gave me a wonderful wife, now I have kids, I've, I've come to realize the gospel legacy, the Christian legacy for the powers house has begun with me. So that my children may love the Lord. So that their children's children may love the Lord. So that their children's children's children may, be, may, may, may one day say, There was this guy, he was a pastor, his name is Sean, and he was the first. He was the first. The point is made again in verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, or when you rise. The the them, the pronoun them in verse 7 is the commandments, right? And it is the obedience to the commandments of God that demonstrate a person's love of God. The inclusion of children, verse 7, suggests that the primary responsibility of passing down the commandments from one generation to the next is the natural family. So let's focus on the family for a moment, and then we'll consider what this means for the local church. Let's get real practical for a moment, parents. Parents can pass down the faith by regularly praying with their kids, right? Go ahead and be programmatic about it. Go ahead and pray before you eat and be spontaneous. My kids know this about me. Randomly, randomly, I might be like, come on over here. What do you want, Dad? We're going to pray. Right now? Yeah, right now. It's not dinner time. Let's pray. Be spontaneous. Parents can be reading the Bible with their kids. It could be one verse, one paragraph, could be an entire chapter. Parents can pass down the faith by modeling Christ-like love to one another. Mom and dad, how you love one another matters. It's a reflection of Christ's love. Parents can pass down the faith by prioritizing the church and church activities. Now, I know this might be the pastoral thing to say but test what I say against Holy Scripture, we tend to prioritize the things that we find valuable. And when church gatherings are not prioritized, then what is potentially being communicated is that passing down the faith is not that big of a deal. Parents can pass down the faith by sharing stories from the Bible. For example, share the story of Exodus when God redeemed his people out of Egypt. Share that story. You don't even need to open your Bible If you know the story, just share it with your kids. Show what God has done and continues to do. And here's one more piece of advice. And this might be the hardest. I'll point the finger in on myself. Put the phone down and be available. Like, I'm convicted (laughs) saying that, right? Be available. If you desire for your children to grow in a Christian home, be available. If you want to pass down the faith, be available. You must be ready to engage in conversations. When it arises, and there will be questions, I promise you, you need to be ready. When it comes to passing down the faith, parents more than pastors, let me say that again, when it comes to passing down the faith, parents more than pastors play a central role. I've heard some non-Christians, certainly not all, that Christian parents are indoctrinating their children with the Christian faith. <laughs> and I've responded to one, one conversation. I, re, I respond, I'm like, yeah, that's kind of the point. <laughs> We're passing down. The, I am absolutely, 100%, unapologetically indoctrinating my kids with the Christian faith. 100%. Nailed it. Nailed it. So, families are really important. I think Deuteronomy 6, you just can't get away from the role of family, how central it is when you read Deuteronomy 6. I also think the faith community, the church, is responsible for passing down and training the next generation to rightly fear and love God. Before the creation of the church, right? You go to the book of Acts. Before the development of the synagogue, synagogue's development probably 400 years-ish before the time of Christ. Before the building of the temple, families were actually clustered together. Families were dependent upon one another for survival, for practical matters, for general support and spiritual support. The context in which God's people lived thousands of years ago is radically different than what we experience today. Today, autonomy, and individuality are prized throughout our culture. And the church, in my opinion, has succumbed to the predations in this particular area of the culture. For example, I don't think it's a coincidence that with the rise of individualism within America, we have the rise of... Non-denominational churches, churches that are disconnected from one another. And within the local churches, right, we see there's a strong contingent of churchgoers who, who uh, place a strong emphasis in community outside of their local church. Uh, the 20th and 20th, 21st centuries building off enlightenment principles have redefined the terms church and community and how they function. Therefore you can see how a redefinition of church impacts the next how the next generation is trained and taught. We need to return to a manageable sized faith communities where people within that community take interest in one another. We should want to care about the practical and spiritual matters of other people within our direct lives, right? We need to take interest in passing down the Christian faith. I've already mentioned that I've been teaching 7th and 8th graders uh, history and theology. And as we started class, I had to memorize this particular verse from the book of Jude. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you appealing to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. It's the last part of this verse that, I'm, that I was focusing on. Jude writes this letter because he does not want other Christians to give up fighting for their faith. But how did they learn about the Christian faith? It was delivered to them from someone else. It was passed on. Someone passed it down to them. The truths of the Christian faith were not passed down via meme. It wasn't like a TikTok video. The faith was not passed down by watching a pastor 1,000 miles away on YouTube, right? And I know they didn't have that technology then, but I think it makes the point. It's, it's us, it's the church who passes it down. The faith is delivered from one generation to the next by the people in the home, by the people in the local community, and yes, in the local church. Of course, the local church is not only made up of families of children, There are widows, empty nesters, and single folks, single people. So the mandate to teach children and one another involves everyone, all of us. You know, I'm going to be very um, personal for a moment. My two girls have many older brothers and sisters in this church. And that thrills me so much. Many of you have taken interest in their spiritual development And that makes me so happy. My daughter's nodding, yeah, it's true. I want you to share Christ with them. Last week, right after church, we had redemptional kids. We had two to fours and five to nines in there. And right after church, I happened to poke my head in. And I was like, whoa, where'd all these kids come from? (laughs) And I thought to myself, man, this is fantastic to see here's the deal. All of you adults have a tremendous opportunity and privilege to train the next generation, to share the gospel with the next generation, to talk about the love of God with the next generation, and not, and not just in Redemption Hill Kids. It's when you're having each other over as families for dinner, right? It's when we hang out after church and we're all serving with one another, There are endless opportunities to share the Christian faith with the next generation. The Christian legacy in your home should not end with you. The Christian Christian legacy of this church should not end with us. We are to pass down the Christian faith. We're to pass down the stories of the Christian faith. And we're to pass down why our stories are so important. Now here's a story to end. You all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Every single person in this room deserves to be punished. We all deserve the wrath of a holy, just, and good God. But as the story goes, a man named Jesus Christ broke into our world. But this man is different. Jesus, not only fully man, but he is also fully God. Jesus is said to be the Son of God. And Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary with purpose. What purpose? To save his people from their sins. Jesus took on flesh to redeem all that is fleshly within us. And only the divine Son of God could live a perfect life. Only the divine Son of God could take the hard road to the cross and die for our sins. Only Jesus could take the punishment that you and I deserve. As a result, a great exchange has taken place. God, because he loves you, Christian, gave over his one and only son so that you could be forgiven and set free from the punishment and power of sin. But the story does not end there, does it? Jesus, the son of God, has shown us his power over death and the grave. The Son of God is risen. And now we, the church, have an incredible privilege, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to be Christ's representatives here on earth. And as Christ's representatives here on earth, we can now declare with certainty, you can be 100% certain when you declare this, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We shall love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, And with all of our might, we will pass down this message until the day we die
0: or the Lord returns. Let's pray. You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.